When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, Tommy, I think we are the only people on the face of this planet to actually trade in the hottest new electric car for an electric Mini. Well, maybe you're right, Dad, because we just traded our 2020 Tesla Model Y Performance, which was a $60-some-thousand-dollar performance SUV for the most affordable EV you can buy on the market today, the Mini Cooper SE. Yeah, to be fair, we didn't trade it. We actually sold the Tesla and bought the Mini. And in this video slash podcast, if you're listening, we're going to be talking about not only why we did that, uh, but what it was like to drive road trip, a Mini with just over 100 miles of range, over 500 miles from Albuquerque, New Mexico, back to Denver, Colorado. So, shall we get at it? Absolutely. Now let's talk about the process of finding a Mini Cooper SE. This car is now a couple of years old. They just facelifted it for the 2022 model year and they are very, very difficult cars to find, partly because of the chip shortage, but I think people really like these little SEs and they are in high demand. Yeah, I think any car is in high demand right now because all cars are uh, basically in short supply. And so finding an electric Mini uh, that was local turned out to be impossible. In fact, we found some, I'm not gonna name names, I think that's you know not something we wanna do here, but we found some dealers doing some very, um, I would say... Seedy. Uh, yeah, it's a good word, seedy practices, because for instance, one of the local dealers here in Colorado advertised two electric minis on their website, and when I called them, uh, the dealer informed me that that vehicle that was advertised as available on their website was a custom order for somebody that had ordered it, uh, and would I like to place an order with them? Yeah, there was a lot of that going on, and then cars that you know were listed as being in stock but were you know not actually around or actually you know were custom order for other folks, and then it kind of felt a little bait and switchy. But after a lot of searching, I did find one in Albuquerque at a dealership called Sandia Mini, and I called them up, and they were very easy to work with, very willing to help us uh, get this transaction done from out of state, and it turned out to be a good experience. Yeah, because we had a really bad experience with a dealer in California where we were all set to buy this Mini SE, and then, of course, before we bought it, we're like, hey, send us the paperwork so we can see exactly how much we're paying. And guess what, Tommy? You know how much they wanted uh, extra for the vehicle? Well, they had tacked on like $1,200 worth of stuff that we didn't want, like low jack, whatever that is, some kind of security prevention. It's a finder, it's like thing. an apple tile. Yep. 
And then, of course, some uh, I think it was some film on the door to protect the door. Yes, and that added up to like 1300 bucks or something and over said, MSRP. And we said, no, we don't want that. And they said, too bad it's on the car. You can't take it off. And I felt like, imagine going to an Apple store and you're buying a phone for 1000 bucks, and the Apple store says, you can't buy this phone for 1000 bucks because there's a Hello Kitty protector on it. And you'd be like, hey, take it off. And they're like, no, you have to have the Hello Kitty protector for $1,100. Take it or leave it. Mm. And, you know, the thing that really was ironic was when we got the Mini, it turns out Mini does its own, like, LoJack version where they actually know where the car is. And if the car gets stolen, they can actually locate it for you. So why does a Mini dealer who sells Minis, which have a location device in the vehicle through Mini Connect, which is basically, you know, your app, sell a device that does the same thing? And well, then charge you 1200 bucks for it. That's exactly right, because the dealer can make a lot of money on top of that, which is why I think they do it, in my opinion. CD, Tom. Good word. So we found this dealer in Albuquerque, and obviously we are in Boulder, Colorado, which is about 45 minutes north of Denver, Colorado. So we considered having it shipped over here. We considered, you know, maybe um, driving down with a trailer to pick it up because the issue is that's a road trip of nearly 500 miles and the Mini's only rated at 114 miles of range according to the EPA. And New Mexico is a desert, a barren wasteland when it comes to supercharging slash quick charging basically. Yeah, I mean, as it turns out, it was a pretty doable trip, but when you look at the different chargers on the map, they are, compared to other states, pretty far and few in between. So before we get to our daunting drive where we had to charge, what, six times to go 500 miles? Something like that. I got the numbers on my let's, phone. Let's talk about why we decided to sell the hottest selling electric car uh, and exchange it for the least expensive electric car in America. So why did we decide to basically sell the Tesla and buy the Mini. Because it's worth a ton of money right now and the <laughs> Tesla market is screwed in terms of used car values. They're just so expensive. So we wanted to take advantage of that pretty much. Yeah, and we've also had it for one year, which is how long we keep our long-term test cars. And we had pretty much done everything there is to do uh, with the car. So we had uh, road tripped in it. We had uh, done drag racing with it. We had had it repaired a number of times because things broke on it. Uh, pretty much anything we can do to kind of talk about what it's like to own a Tesla for one year we did. Uh, and it was time to move it on. We only have a limited budget. And what we do is when we sell one vehicle, we roll that money into another vehicle. But people might be wondering, out of all the new vehicles out there that are electric now, and there's a lot, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could have bought a Mach-E. We could have bought an ID4. Why did we go for uh, Mini? And I can tell you that, Tommy, in one easy antidote. And what's that? So, uh, you know, we drove home in the Mini 500 miles, and that same night, I actually took it for a joyride after driving 500 miles in the Mini. And in the year of ownership that we've had the Tesla, I've never taken it for a joyride. And I think what, what I've determined about the Tesla is it's a lot like an iPhone, right? Technologically, it's super advanced, so all the tech is really great. It does a lot of really great things like update itself over the air. Uh, it's super quick. Uh, it's very serene when you get into it. There's not a lot of buttons, so it does provide this calmness that, that I really enjoyed. Um, but there's a couple downsides to it. Like an iPhone, the Tesla to me is an appliance. It's kind of soulless. Would you agree? I like In a phone kind of way. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just doesn't. It's just not the kind of vehicle that I would actually ever want to take for a joyride. It's the kind of vehicle I'd love to take to the airport when I'm going somewhere, maybe pick up family, but certainly never for a joyride. It depends. I mean, it is insanely fast in a straight line, insanely it quick. Is. I mean, we're talking zero to 60. It's like a phone. I mean, I love my phone and I love the 
Model Y, but once again, you know, it's more of appliance is harsh, right? Because phone is more than appliance. It's, it's you know, it's entertainment. It's it's a lot of things, but uh, it's not kind of an entertaining, super fun car to drive around in a canyon. I think it's a pretty fun car to drive, especially right, with enough. with the quick ratio of the steering. Um, you know, I think one of the things that makes it maybe less appealing to take out for, you know, a zip in the canyon is the fact that it is a crossover SUV, which is typically not something synonymous with having a nice Sunday drive. But it is a fun car to drive. It is, I agree, a little bit dead in terms of its feeling compared to, uh, you know, a gasoline car. It doesn't seem to have a lot of character in that, that sense, but it's insanely quick. The brakes are good. The steering is quick, almost a little too fast, I think, the steering. And uh, it handles well, but the Mini just has a much bigger personality. Uh, it's just, you, you know, it's uh, it's one of those cars that you just want to hop in and hoon around as fast as you can um, a, a little tight road course. It, it's that much fun. Yeah, I would say the Tesla, everything, all the software is at least a generation ahead. And certainly the charging network is a generation ahead. But in terms of fun to drive, uh, the Mini is certainly uh, much more in- engaging, even though it's slower. Uh, it's not as, um, you know, uh, over overarchingly powerful. When you're in a Tesla, you like line up against any car for the most part, and you, especially a performance Tesla, and you know you can take them off the line. That's a good feeling. The Mini won't do that. I think zero to 60, the Mini is what, 6.9 seconds in sport mode. And I wanna say the Tesla was officially 3.5 or 3.4, but we never got it that quick. I think we ever only got it down to like 3.8. So we found this Mini in Albuquerque and called up the dealer and initially they wanted a $3,000 deposit, but we talked them down to a $1,000 deposit because three is a big number to put on a credit card. And um, we didn't really receive a huge discount from the dealer, so we agreed to pay MSRP, but then we did get $2,000 off from Mini. Yeah, I called Mini and I said, hey, we're gonna use this car for a long-term review, we're gonna keep it, we're gonna produce videos. And they said, we appreciate that. Uh, And because, of course, you guys watch our stuff, about 30 million people, Wow, now that's a big number. Uh, a month, watch all of our channels. They said, we'll give you a $2,000 discount. So let's talk about the pricing. It is the cheapest electric car you can buy. It starts at about $29. Uh, we got the one that had some cool extras. Uh, my favorite, of course, is that tri-colored roof. You want to talk about that? It's well, really cool. $29.9 is the base car. And that is, like we, we mentioned, the most affordable new electric car you can buy. And that's even before tax credits that you may apply for. So we had the, uh, or we have, I should say, the Signature, I believe it's called the Signature Plus uh, Edition. That's got a lot of the goodies. It's not quite the top end model, but the sticker on this one was $37,000. $500. Um, so we paid $35.5 for it before taxes and, and all that. But yeah, it's got the mini electric collection on it, which includes this cool island blue color, which is like a bright blue. And it has this tricolor roof. So minis are known for having contrasting roof colors, as often that you see like a body in one color and the roof in white or black. But this one actually is a, is a three color blended roof. It starts in this like dark blue, almost purple. And then midway down the roof, it transitions to an electric blue. And then at the end of the roof, toward the rear of the car, it actually transitions to a black. And it comes out super cool in person. It doesn't look very cool on camera, but you see it in person and it just like pops against yeah, the island blue. I, I'm amazed at how they do that because I don't know how a robot 
can go from like dark blue to light blue to black. It's very cool. And then we also have um, these things called ghost stripes, which is basically the same color of the car applied to the hood and the side. Yeah, the decal. But it's a matte finish, so they are a very subtle stripe. Minis are known for their stripes. I think it's one of the things that makes them cool. And um, the ghost stripe is just a super interesting little option that you don't see in a lot of other cars. So I like how Mini really likes to kind of mess with normal convention. Same thing with the wheels. We have the, uh, they're called power power spoke wheels, which look like a UK plug socket. So they're- Savage Geese called them, I watched his video, I think they, he called them crucifix wheels. They look like a, a cross. Yeah, and actually funny story about that. I was just watching a, an Inside EVs video with my, or maybe it's an out of spec video with my buddy Kyle, and he was saying that on the, uh, when they launched that car, they were called Corona spoke wheels. And then of course the pandemic hit and they had to switch them. But anyways, power spoke wheels, asymmetric, right? So it's not, it kind of messes with your head when you see them. I promise they roll smooth, but they, it's it's a weird looking design. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think we kind of um, forgot the most important part. You said, you know, after the mini rebate, it was 37.5, but then there's a federal rebate of seven and a half, and I think a Colorado rebate of three and a half. So, 35.5. Yeah, so so basically, we got $12,000 off the, off the mini. I thought it was closer to 10. Well, no, two and a half from. 2,000 from many, th three and a half from the state of Colorado, seven and a half from oh. federal government. So we got $12,000 off. So that $37,000 mini ends up costing us $25,000, right. which, is, which is a bargain. And if you got if you got the 30K one, the entry level one, you'd be potentially, depending where you live and how much you can get, you'd be at like 20K. Yes, but it's worth noting, when you leave the dealer, you're still paying sticker you're just going to get that money back on your taxes. And then if you're you like, qualify. yeah, I don't qualify for nearly close to the $7,500 tax credit um, because I just don't make enough money. So I wouldn't get that same benefit, whereas the company does. And I also want to say, um, I, I appreciate the $2,000 off for many, but that's not impacting our, our opinions in any way. We're going to be totally transparent and honest about this car. So I want to make that uh -huh. very clear. I was going to just swoon over it, Tommy. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So you know, you know how grumpy I get. So don't worry if you think I'm going to swoon. There are some things that, that we did discover along the road trip that were not swoon worthy. But we'll get to that in a second. So so we thought it be, not only is it cool to have an electric car because electric cars, whether you like it or not, are the future. So why not jump on board with both feet and get deep into the electric car world with you know our now our what it's probably our eighth or ninth electric car that we've had for long trip testing, right? Something like that. Yeah. I think that's pretty pretty close. Own, and then we probably tested everything on the market right now. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Mini Cooper SE. So this is the latest generation of the Mini Cooper. Um, it, it launched in 2014 in the States, gasoline only. And then for the 2020 model year, they launched the electric one. And I had a nice dinner with the chief engineer of this car. And he was very German, but he made it very clear that this car was never intended from the get-go to have an electric variant. So this was designed from the get-go to be just a gasoline version. Yeah, basically it's an i3. Well... Chassis-ish. Not... No. Yes, it is. Not even close. It's very. It's an i3. So here's uh, what they did. I, I got the full story. I, I don't want to bicker, but let me ask you, what what's the maximum charge rate on the i3? It's... Can I explain myself? Uh, 50, 50 kilowatts. And what's the maximum charge rate on the mini? 50 kilowatts. It is a mini platform. It does not share the chassis with an i3. It shares the components from an i3. Very big difference. The i3 is made out of carbon fiber. It's rear wheel drive. It's nothing like the Mini. The Mini is, does not have that carbon composite platform. It's front wheel drive. Totally different platform. How about the motor? 
The motor is the same. That's it's, where you're right. So it's the drivetrain out of the i3. But it's a little bit different because the i3 is rear-wheel drive, the Mini is front-wheel drive. Um, drivetrain, so motor, uh, the charger, a lot of the control units are very similar to an i3. And then, because, like I mentioned, this car was never designed to be electrified, unlike the i3, which was always meant to be electric, um, they had to get a little creative on getting all the electric bits to fit. So, for example, the battery is a very big unit. It lives underneath the vehicle more or less, and they had to lift the suspension about an inch. How many kilowatts? It's like 31. Kilowatt hours is 32.6, 32 I think. kilowatt hours, then you, you have access to like 28 of those. Yeah, something like that, 29. I, know, I can hear you guys screaming into your computers, into your monitors, into your phones. How could you trade or how could you sell a car with 300 miles of range for a car with a third of that? And that's a very good question because I was questioning that myself when I thought about driving from Albuquerque um, to Colorado uh, in the least, I would say, one of the least electrified states in the country because apparently New Mexico has a lot of minerals. Uh, and so the mineral industry there is not all that keen on... They, and in fact, in New Mexico, you don't get any state tax credits for buying an electric vehicle. It's that um, different. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good question. And, you know, we've had a lot of... We had the i3 that we owned for a while. We, now we have um, a Spark EV. Uh, and, yeah, if you have a car that has, let's say, 70 miles of range or 60 miles of range, it's really hard to live with. Uh, but actually... On the road trip, we, we got quite a surprise from the Mini because it, it officially is 114, but I think realistically it can be much longer than that. Now, one last thing I want to say about the Mini and the i3 because it does, you know, it's an interesting point. So a vehicle like the i3 was designed from the ground up to be electric. And that's important because it's, there's a lot of packaging constraints that you have to deal with when dealing with gasoline and electric. Like in gasoline cars, you need a fuel tank, but that's much smaller than the battery. You also need more space in a gas car for the engine, where in an electric car, you just need a little bit of space. It's like a whole interesting thing. So I, Mini did a good job converting this to electric with the resources they had. Um, what, that of BMW? Well, what, what I mean... But it's a relatively small volume vehicle, right? It's not a ground-up redesign. They did a good job making it super fun to drive, um, decently balanced for not having any intention to be electric from, from the, the get-go. I mean, sometimes when you do these conversions, it's kind of half done. I, I don't know. I always take that with a grain of salt. These car companies... No, he was he was very German about it. He's like, yeah, it, it was never designed to be electric. And they usually... So, yeah, but so usually... But that usually these, these companies, when they go into it, Look, even so, so, even so, if they're being pr they'll be like, well, it wasn't right, intended right, eventually to be before electric. Before we bore everybody to death, let me just take 30 seconds and go into the history of electric minis, right? A long time ago, they actually contracted with a company to build the very first electric mini uh and uh, that was a California company, and those were only leased to people to kind of dip their toe in the electric car world. And to me, even way back then, I don't think BMW like woke up one day and said, you know what, we want to get an electric Mini, so uh, let's contract with a company to build one, and we'll have no further plans for any others for the next 10 years, because this was like 10 years ago. So you know how these companies work, Tommy. I, I got to figure that even from that very first electric Mini, right, which then became the very first electric BMW, right? Well, yeah, it and eventually... That platform then was used, what they learned from that Mini was actually used in the, in the BMW, I think it was the uh, 2 Series electric? Yeah. It was, very, it was a very limited run. It was a 1 Series. Yeah. I actually, one I was... Series, but, but you see what I'm saying? Even back then, 
The yeah. manufacturer no, can't no. have a plan to electrify. I know, I, I, but I don't think, I really don't think that this F56 platform version of Mini was intended to be electric. I saying? really it, don't. It's, it's very weird that BMW would, would say that hey, we're, we're using this as a platform to learn about electrification and then be like, okay, we learned about it. And so for 10 years, we have no plans to do something. Well, no, so what, years later, they're like, oh my God, we need an electric Mini. So what do we do? Oh, let's make this one, even though we had no plans. What they it. did, as I understand, um, there's a really cool guy named Tom Malogny who's actually on that program. Yeah, it's your inside EV. Yeah, he yeah. was on the electric mini program, right. and then he was also on the one series electric program. And he's really involved in the in the BMW team and, and talking about what they did. And as I understand it, they took what they learned from the mini, they brought it into the BMW series, uh, one series program, and then they transitioned those knowledge base into the i3. Um, and then it kind of feels like mini. no, it kind of feels like <laughs> that the i3 was a little ahead of its time because then. I mean, they pretty much, for a few years there, uh, they, they kind of, you know, slowed down the electric program a lot and focused a lot more on developing their gasoline generations of cars. I said 30 seconds. We've kind of gone. It's just, I mean, it's an interesting story. And, I, you know, maybe maybe that the background is, is somewhere in the middle of what we're talking about, the actual yeah, truth. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing with you or I'm not disagreeing with the engineer. It's just I've been doing this long enough to know that companies... You know, plan way ahead. They have to. But if you have to live, if you have to lift a car to do an electric version, there's a good chance that, I mean, it's it's a weird thing to have to put a one inch raise on the suspension to get stuff to fix. It's actually much better to drive because it's much smoother. Well, we'll talk about that a little later All on. Right, so anyway, so we, we show up, we fly down to Albuquerque, and we have a hellish flight because there's wind shear. You know, I'm like, hey, it's an easy flight from Denver. It's only 500 miles down to Albuquerque. We'll be there in 55 minutes. And, of course, it turned into this hellish thing where we're flying around and around and around and around the airport because we can't land in the middle of the worst, like, rain they've ever had. And we land, and we managed to get, once again, very stressful. We managed to get to the dealership. And Freddie, thank you, Freddie, who uh, was our salesperson there, had the car parked and think, charged up, thank God. <clears throat> I think it was Frankie. Frankie. Sorry, Frankie, yeah. Yeah. Frankie. <laughs> sorry, I'm thinking of Freddie's... Uh, Hamburgers. Anyway, um, she had the car charged up, and it was a very nice process. Once again, oftentimes, oh God, when we were buying your mom's car, it literally took six hours of sitting around, you know, waiting to do I don't know what because we were paying cash at that time, uh, and I don't know what dealerships decide to keep people hostage and why, but it just infuriates me and it makes it silly. Uh, so um, they were very apologetic, but nevertheless, it took six hours to, to find all the paperwork. With this Mini, we were in and out, what, in 45 minutes? It was, yeah, it was easy, really easy. Maybe last time, just filled out some paperwork, handed over a certified check, uh, and away we went. Now, the first stretch of our trip was from Albuquerque to Santa Fe because uh, it turns out it's very hard to get flights from Denver to Albuquerque, and I could only get an evening flight, so we showed up right before the dealership closed, and we wanted to just make it to Santa Fe, stay the night at a hotel, and then do the actual road trip in the next morning. So the, the first leg was from Albuquerque to Santa Fe, which is, as it turned out, pretty much straight uphill, and that was a very stressful thing for us because it's about 57 and a half miles. Um, and we used a tremendous amount of energy, and that was yeah. I think we we, we parked at like thirty eight percent to go fifty. So we used like sixty two percent to go fifty seven miles. And th the reason we were scared is because the next morning we had a stretch that was one hundred and ten miles in between chargers, which was just you know we we didn't get a very good night's sleep because we worried about it. But I found a hotel yeah. that had EV charging. 
when I made the booking, I specifically requested, hey, I'm coming in with an EV, I'd like to use a charger. They, they said, no problem. What was it called? Do you remember? Uh, the, I think it was called the Santa Fe Inn, Inn and Mot- uh, Inn Motel, the Santa yeah. Fe Motel. It's outside. It's like 15 minutes from downtown. Very, very cool and little they had, place. They had like the cone set up, and so we pulled up. And oh, it was great. Yeah, moved the cone, and there was nobody there blocking the chargers. Plugged it in. Worked great. It was a free charging session, except for nice the $200 hotel, of course. And yeah, so we were able to get a full charge, which is exactly what we needed for the next stretch, because once you leave Santa Fe and start heading north, for a short-range electric car, it becomes a little bit daunting. So, so this is the first thing that, and I, I still haven't figured this out, but uh, you know, once again, like I said, BMW and Mini are at least one generation behind Tesla, because in a Tesla, you basically put your final destinations, and it maps where you need to stop, for how long you need to stop, and pretty much where you need to stop and how long you need to stop all works. So it's painless, right? You say, I'm going to Boulder, Colorado, and it says you're going to drive this fast, to here, they're going to charge for this long, and you're going to go to this next supercharger, and you're going to charge with with BMW and the Mini app because it's you know the two are the same. Uh, you, that is not doable, as far as I can tell. There's, it, not only is that not doable, but in the little net we got navigation with our car. A lot of the chargers that we ended up using weren't even even loaded into the uh, navigation system, so they didn't even show up. Uh, and we ended up having to use, once again, a better route planner, which is this online tool or app where you can actually uh, tell it how far you're going and it does those stuff. It basically calculates the stuff that Tesla does for you. Uh, and the scary part was for first drive from um, Santa Fe to Wagon Wheel, right, was like 105 miles. Yes? No? Well, I've got the numbers if you want to go, go really in depth. So it was from Santa Fe to Wagon Mound, New Mexico. Wagon Mound. It was 108.9 miles. And once again, the car's rated at 114, but that typically is 114 in mixed city and driving, because like uh, city and highway, because electric cars do better in the city than on the highway. And this was, of course, all highway. So a better route planner on that stretch said we had to leave with at least 98%. We had to drive under 55 if we were going to make it to the stop. Yeah, and there's nothing more fun than driving on a highway at 55 miles an hour with uh, trucks doing 80 passing by. It turns out, though, we left crazy early that morning to because, make that stretch. Because the, the Mini has really four drive modes, right? There's Sport, mm-hmm. uh, which burns a lot of electricity. Then there's Mid, which is like a normal driving. Then there's Green, uh, which gives you a longer range. And then the one we need to use is Green Plus. But the downside of Green Plus is it turns the HVAC off. So we never use Green Plus because I would rather be stuck on the side of the road than hot, apparently. So we just used Green. And we left at 6 in the morning. We didn't want to be run over by somebody. Crazy early, yep. And we started out the first half of that 109-mile drive uh, at 55. But I was calculating based on how far we were driving, what percentage we were at, whether or not we were going to make. It, and it quickly became apparent that we were going to make it with plenty to spare. So we stepped up the speed to about 61, and we maintained 61 for the rest of that stretch. And we made that big stretch no problem, which I was really pleased about. I think the altitude lost was like 500 feet, so it was slightly downhill net over the trip, but you know, it's rolling up and down. Averaged 61 through that stretch there, in the second half at least. And we made it to Wagon Mound, which is this gas station in the middle of nowhere with like. Yeah, with like 27% remaining, 25% remaining. I shouldn't say supercharger, Electrify America, high-speed charger. DC fast charger. And the car had estimated that we had another like 20 miles to go, which was just like, poof. So we figured that car, realistically, if you were in green plus mode, 
without the HVAC, you could probably do 140 miles of range on the highway. If you're going slowly. If you're going like 55 to 65. Now, this was a really interesting little place wagon mound because, I mean, it's like two rundown gas stations off the side of a highway and then this brand new Electrify America And nothing else. Pad. Yeah, except for uh, an F-150 who decided to uh, change a, a tire. Yeah, so, so we get there. Uh, uh, perpendicularly across every station there. So, so the, this gas station has gravel, and this F-150 picked the only uh, parking lot that wasn't gravel, which was the uh, charging lot. And, of course, instead of pulling in backwards like you would to charge, they pulled across the long way. So <laughs> out of the four stations, they managed to block three of them uh, by changing their tire. Uh, once again, you couldn't write this stuff. Luckily, the fourth one was available, and we were able to use it. Uh, and we were able to charge at um, actually a really good. So the, the mini charge is only at 50 kilowatts, uh, and we were able to get up to I think 45 at that one or 46 kilowatts. Consistently, it was pretty much the same across every charger. We would peak at about 48, and then settle in right about 47 or 46. And the, on paper. 50 is a very slow speed. When you consider, like, our, our model Y would have done over 200, the Taycan's capable of 270. When you hear 50, you kind of dismiss that. But you got to keep in mind something called the charging curve in the fact that electric cars don't charge at a consistent rate across the entire battery, and they often um, will start high and then taper down low as uh, they become more and more charged up. But the Mini, uh, because it's the i3 platform, holds, holds that 48, 50 kilowatts deep into the pack. So when we plugged in at, we were typically plugging in between 20 and 25%. Um, it would hold 50 all the way to about 70% before tapering to about 45, 40, then 38 as we approached 80. So really, I'm looking at the, the times we spent charging. We averaged right around 24, 25 minutes per stop. So we would drive for about an hour and a half, charge for 20 to 25 minutes. In Wagon Mound, we stopped for 28 minutes because we were still a little bit unsure of the car's capabilities. It cost us $3.36 or thereabouts, and um, no issues to report it. It charged on the first go. And if you want to see this, we're going to have a video up over at TFL Car, but I think this will be... I'm not sure if it's going up before this podcast airs or after, uh, but it'll be over at TFL Car. So if you want to watch what this was like, you can actually see us filming all this. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, the only downside there was that there was this kind of a stinky gas station with some homeless people. It was a, a pretty sketchy, officer. yeah, it was, it was a, little, a little weird. It was a little weird, yeah, it was a little sketchy. Uh, and let's be real. So, uh, once again, you know, electrifying things is coming, but... It isn't as convenient, so keep in mind that from Denver, from, from Boulder to um, Albuquerque, it would be about a seven-hour drive. Mm. So if we had flown into Albuquerque and bought our traditional menu, what I mean by that is a gasoline-powered one, right. we could have left at 6 and been home by like 1 o'clock. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. So leave at 6 in the morning. No, no, left at 6 at night. Oh, from the dealer. Yeah, if we had just flown in paid for it, left, we could have been home that evening. Instead, I'm gonna to cut to the chase, we ended up basically getting back to Colorado to our offices at four in the afternoon. Yeah. So that, that, that. It was a total of about six 10 hours, hour, six yeah. Six hour drive ended up taking 10 hours. It was a long drive, uh, I agree. And, and you know, I used to live in Prague and we went there when it went from communist to capitalist. The one nice thing 
and you may dismiss this, but it's true, is when life is not convenient, it's fun and it's interesting and you feel like you've lived, right? When life is very convenient, when you can just get anything you want anytime, it makes life kind of boring. So this was a true adventure and I do, did appreciate that part of it because it was kind of like, hey, we're kind of pioneering something here. Let's see if you can actually make this drive you know, on this route with this car that basically has barely enough range to do it given the, the supercharged the charging network that's available to it right now. So the other thing too is um, the first three stops we were averaging uh, the, 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 the second leg outside of Wagaman we picked it up a little bit and then even more a little bit on the third leg. Those were our three longest in-between chargers. So it was 108.9 miles. The second stretch of that morning was 84.6 miles and the third stretch was 92 miles. We were averaging between 60 and 65 miles an hour. Uh, the speed limit was about 75, and we could have picked it up a little bit, but you know, we're still learning the car, learning its capabilities, because we were pulling into the charging stops with you know about 25% here, well, more or less. The nerve-wracking part is, even if you use like PlugShare, right, you don't know if that charging station is gonna work, right? Because you have, when you pull in with no reserve left, you have, no ability to go someplace else to charge. Although, There's no other charging stations. In a lot of those towns, it was that one or nothing. Honestly, in retrospect, we should have probably drained that packed out even lower because, like, yeah, like you said, I mean, we were either going to charge or we weren't going to charge. There was nowhere else we were going to go. But to be kind of dead in the water with 1%. You know, it's a little stressful, yeah. So we wanted to maintain about 20%. You know, like what CarWow does for their test, right, where they take five electric cars or and they drive as far as possible. And we actually had to get home, so it's not... Some of the range test guys do that, too. They, they pull in at, like, 0%. and. Oh, that just shoots my anxiety way up. So, um, it, 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 yeah, it's one thing when you do that in New York or in the UK, right, where there's a lot of population density. It's another thing when you do that in New Mexico, northern New Mexico, where there is nothing, and the things that are there are a little sketchy. So, um, next stretch was from Wagon Mound to Trinidad. That was 84.6 miles, and then the the next stretch was Trinidad to Pueblo, Colorado. That was 92 miles. Uh, during those stretches, we were paying in the neighborhood of like five dollars and fifty cents, and we were stopping for. 24 30 minutes depending on the um, percentage we wanted to go up to yeah basically we drove an hour and a half charged a half and hour. we charged typically to about 85 percent yeah because um, after that it becomes it's so, it becomes so slow yeah so we were going about 85 which i think is pretty representative to what yeah. most people would do and we spent a lot of time in a very unpleasant place which is in the middle of summer the walmart parking lot that's not that bad it's pretty bad walmart's not so bad what's it's wrong with walmart it's like a it's like a concrete jungle uh, in 95 degree weather where you're just sitting in a, you know, you, you, so the news this week was that Mr. Musk says that he is committed to opening up the Tesla supercharger network to non-Teslas, which if we were a Tesla owner would probably piss me off, but now we no longer own the Tesla. <laughs> I'm, I'm exactly the opposite side of the coin. I'm like, hell yeah, because Tesla superchargers tend to be in more interesting places like next to Starbucks or, you know, in shopping centers, not just Walmarts or in outlet malls, right? They, they are someplace where it's more than just, you know, a parking lot with a Walmart. Yes. Or a Sam's Club. Very true. Um, honestly, during that stretch, it was pretty much Electrify America or nothing. There was a couple opportunities yeah, we, in Colorado to use like EVgo, and there was this weird one that we yeah, stopped at. Remember the, the weird one? Trip was called, I think it was called EV Trail. EV, well, I shouldn't say weird. So there was this, in the middle of nowhere, there's this very strange. And these people have decided to put up a one electric charger called the EV Trail and like do beta testing, so open it up for free. And so there's a Chatmo charger and a CCS charger. Right? Yeah, but like this is like a, it's like a diner in a field, it's, and yeah, then it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> behind that is with this a, with a defunct 
uh, road grader. Like Very strange. Yeah, and, and in the back, apparently it's a good diner. We didn't get this job. I would have eaten there if the thing had worked. It didn't work, and it felt very Chinese, to be honest with you. It was like the, the charging unit had the word, like, Fai Huang on it or something, some, something, something like that. in that Fai region. Fong, yeah. And um, the graphics were really pretty scary. So, uh, But anyway, we pull up to it, um, plug it in, tried a couple different things. It was connecting to the car based on what the, the little screen was showing me. But it wasn't charging. But it wasn't. Yeah, it, luckily it wasn't one we really needed to depend on because I just didn't trust it based on what people were saying we're on PlugShare. It's, it's the other thing. You don't really worry about pulling up to a gas station whether you're going to like break your car. I guess you could put gasoline into a diesel or diesel into a gasoline car. But for the most part, with, with these stations, I'm always like, am I going to blow up this car? Am I going to ah. do something that's going to cause me to not be able to go on? And speaking of that, that did happen to us, didn't it, Tommy? Well, I mean, it didn't blow up. No, Thank we, goodness we, the car didn't blow we got up. got bricked by Electrify America. We, yes. So uh, that, this EV trail one didn't work. And the uh, the person who operates uh, this, per, this, this company actually was messaging me on uh, PlugShare and saying, hey, how can we make this better? And that was cool to see. But eventually we made it to Colorado Springs. At this point, by the way, we should mention, by the time we got into Colorado um, Springs, we were just going 7580. Uh, because it's amazing what the efficiency difference is. So when we were doing like 60 to 65, we were consistently averaging 4.7 or 4.8 miles per kilowatt hour. And this is, you know, up and down and up and down and up and down, which was amazing, right? 4.7, 4.8 is super efficient. By the time we started driving 75, 80, we got that down to 3.5, right? But we were just like sick of driving slow. So, uh, and once you get to the springs, you got tons and tons of charging yeah, options. Yeah, once you get to Colorado, it actually gets better. So we stopped in the Electric America at, in, at Colorado Springs in a Sam's Club parking lot. Yeah, during the hottest part of the day. And if you guys have been listening to this podcast or watching our videos, you know that we had a, a somewhat daunting experience trying to road trip a Taycan from L.A. Uh, to um, Denver, 1,000 miles. And what was the other time we had problems in time? You got a lot of... Bar, um, Barstow. Like, exactly. It's like bar and tow. Barstow. In Barstow, it was pretty much a, a, a disaster. Yeah. We didn't... So up until we got to the springs, it had, had been... We had another Barstow incident. Yeah, but it had been very, very smooth sailing. So Electrify America had been working perfectly, very consistent charging curves, good power output from the stations, no, none of those concerns. By the time we got to Colorado Springs, we show up to the Electrify America, we plug on in to one of the units, um, and then it says initializing, 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 and it just got stuck there. And the mini or the charging so let, station... Let, let me paint the scene... Okay, so we pull up into the Sam's Club parking lot, and it's a concrete jungle, right? And in front of us is this uh, truck with a fifth-wheel RV, right? Uh-huh. And there are two dogs, and the, even the two dogs are so freaking hot, it's 98 degrees right now, that they are, like, crawling underneath the RV just to try to get a little bit of shade. So keep in mind, it's that hot. Now, I sit down in the vehicle... Um, hoping to get a little bit of air conditioning, and guess what? I can't turn on the air conditioner. For some reason, and we'll, we've actually figured out at the next charging station why this happens, the vehicle will not turn on the air conditioner when you're charging. So we thought um, perhaps that was like a built-in uh, like engineering thing where while you're charging, you can't air condition the vehicle. So now I'm in the Mini, 98 degrees outside. The dogs are like, like you know, scrambling for the, the, the shade. It's 115 in the Mini, and come and find out that not only does not the charger, the Trip America charger, initialize, but get this now, Tommy, we cannot get the charging cable 
out of the Mini. It's locked in place. It, yep. it is now basically bricked the Mini because we are now tethered to the charging station and we cannot force it. I mean, we, if you force it, you'll break it, right? So uh, now all of a sudden, in this incredibly uncomfortable, miserable part of the day, we're trying to figure out how we get the station to let go of the car. And there's two approaches that we took. Tommy called Electrify America, and I started Googling a manual release because Teslas have manual releases. Well, your right? primary job in that was to get really grumpy. That was that, your. That was my job. That was your primary because, contribution to that situation. First, I tried to Google how the heck you turn on the air conditioning when you're charging. We figured it out. But yeah, well, this is also silly. Tommy. Figured it out. It is a little silly when you get in the mini and you're actually plugged in. You can push the AC button. You can play with the temperature control, and it won't kick down the air conditioner even if the AC light is on, unless you go into the menu on the screen no, and. And so click the fourth sub menu. Uh, yeah, and then you have to click activate comfort climate, and then it will let you turn on the AC, even though the light is on, anyways. It's a whole thing. Yeah, well, hey, mini engineers, why is it that the light is on, that you know, you've got the air conditioner turned on, and it won't turn on? And why do you have to go four screens in? Well, it's weird that the AC light comes on on the switch, and the fan is going normally, and you got auto going, but it won't actually kick on the unless, compressor unless, you, click this unless you go into the screen and click comfort climate in the menu. It's a weird thing. So I, I was trying to Google that. So At you were getting time, all grumpy. I was looking for the manual release because yep. we figured, like the Tesla, there's got to be a manual release where where you can kind of, you know, either like pull on something or push on something to get the dang car to free itself from the charger. Right, so while you were doing that, I- We still haven't figured that out. While you were decided, doing that, I decided to call um, Electrify America, because there's yeah. a support number. A very friendly lady picked up first people try. You are great, by the way, Electrify America. You very good customer support, I will say that. I'm used yeah. to like talking to people in India who can barely speak English, and you guys have actual people. Very good. I will say, I haven't had to call Conoco recently, and I have called Electrify America more than I would have liked to, but when you do call them, they're very friendly well, and very you helpful. You just go inside. So I was talking to her, and she had me go through like this preset, basically, list of things to try to do. Well, well no, no. She was like, hey, have you tried turning no, it no. on and off? It was very clear, though, to me that she was like going through a preset know, list of things. It felt like that so the first crowd. thing she had me to do was lock the car, unlock the car, lock the car, have unlock the car. Locking and unlocking. Yes. Twice. Yes. That didn't work. Charger still wouldn't let go. So then she said, all right, turn it on and off twice. Turn it on and off twice. Didn't work. Um, eventually, I said, hey, can you try to do something on your end? So she basically rebooted the EA station. And then finally, after it went down, it went click. And then we were able to unplug the car. So my question for you at Electrify America, and feel free to email me, because I'm sure we'll get an email. Or if you want to call, let's talk about it. If the car, and this is the car is probably stuck in that initializing with the charger loop for 10 minutes. Why isn't there a bit of code in there that says if the thing is initializing for 10 minutes, we just reboot this? Or why isn't there a bit of code that says if it's initializing, we like ping somebody at a computer and say, because they're customers, they're your customers are out there, and 98 degree weather, like standing by the charger, scratching their heads, wondering how do I unplug my car while the little thing is spinning and spinning and spinning. You should be aware of that that's happening, right? So there should either be code to reboot or there should be like, hey, there's a customer out there who's not getting his car charged, and that car may now be bricked because it can't unplug itself from the charging unit. Well, and then the yeah. thing is even kind of more That's interesting, true. Tommy. 
on a number of the stations we went to, people actually, this feels like we're back in the 1700s, <laughs> people are putting up little, little sticky notes this on the Electrify America chart. Very true. Never, and I've never seen these on, on superchargers, right? That's what I'm saying. If you open up the supercharger network, I'm going to be like, hell yeah. Uh, I've seen little sticky notes that actually say this charger does not work, this charger is slow, it's, uh, you know, this charger failed to initialize. Right. Sticky notes, Tommy. People are putting up sticky notes. So there's a, uh, oh, an app called PlugShare, which is like social media for uh, EV, EV drivers, and it's a very good app. I'd recommend it, not sponsored or anything. But anyway, um, people share their experience on which stall they use and, and how fast it, it, it went and did it work. Um, but I also noticed on this trip, and this was in multiple locations, that people were leaving little post-it tabs <laughs> of saying, this one's slow or this one's broken. And it's not like the same person. Like there were multiple different styles and handwritings, and it was like a bizarre situation of like people sending smoke signals to other yeah, people. I'm thinking like at the next charger down the road, there'll be smoke signals. So, Use charger number four. Anyway, like, yeah, maybe we should have left one at that, that particular station. But um, eventually, we got the thing unplugged. I was able to try a different stall. It worked. Speeds were slower. It was the only time during the whole trip where speeds had slowed down on the Mini. Um, but then from there on out, we had one other charging stop in Denver. I thought it was five, but you're right, it's six because I forgot about the overnight stop. So, so six charging stops in total. Uh, we ended up paying for the 480, let me get the number, 480 some mile trip. Uh, it was $21.69 that we spent charging. 484.1 miles, 21.69. So why do you think Tesla's gonna open up their charging network uh, to non-Tesla owners? Because it will piss Tesla owners off, I can guarantee you that. Well, you know, to be honest, Ed, I don't think that Tesla is making a lot of money on supercharging right now. You know what I think it is? I think uh, well, I, can, I, can I finish? Yeah, go for it. I actually think that Tesla might be losing money on people supercharging based on um, surge costs of, of that utilities apply. And I think it's a really smart idea. Tesla could charge 2x, you know, what they charge their Tesla customers and make the money on providing electricity through these superchargers. Yeah, so it's basically like the Apple slash Verizon or AT&T scenario where, you know, Tesla is Apple and the supercharging network is the Verizon or AT&T or whoever you want to use. And in this way, if Tesla's network is very uh, robust and works, you could actually own both the Apple, the product, and then the network, right? You could, you could, you could, you could have both. You could have a charging network. Uh, and you could have the vehicles that go in that charging network. And that's a pretty good business plan. I read today that, you know, depending on how much they charge, Tesla can make up to $25 billion worldwide by opening up their supercharger network to other EVs. And it's going to be hard here in America because we have proprietary plugs that Tesla uses in Europe that use CCS, so it's a little bit easier. Right. You'll right. Uh, so have to have an adapter here in America. But I think many... I think what you'd end up with is many people with non-Teslas would immediately start using superchargers, hmm. um, which would like really tee off Tesla owners because they're like, hey, I'm paying a premium. I want the premium experience. And now there's a hybrid part in my slot. You know, it's a very interesting thing. And I've been listening to a lot of different perspectives on this recently in podcast forums about how these stations are making money. And you know how they are making money? How? They aren't. They aren't making money. Not specifically Tesla chargers, but, but it's coming DC fast chargers. Yeah, because, I mean, there's these, these charges that utility companies based on how much power you're drawing, right? And if you've got a, a four-stall DC fast charger, right? Someone plugs in, they may plug in and draw 50 kilowatts like us, and then you get 
charged if you're the owner of that, that station based on um, kilowatt hours, right? But if all of a sudden three Tycons pull in and they're all asking for 150, it's like alarm bells going off at the utility provider, like, oh my God, what is going on over here? And then as the station operator, you might get slapped with a bill for thousands of dollars because of this crazy amount of uh, power that you were drawing at that one given time. It's really a, a crazy thing. Yeah, but with electric cars coming and you know, now the world is seeing but, the effects of global warming. So what are we going to... It's just going to speed up electric car adoption and people are going to make a lot of money do you think building though, out electric electric car charging networks. So we were pretty affordable on this trip. We paid yeah. $21.69. So let, let, let me cut to the chase. Okay? Yeah, I mean, is it going to get more expensive then? So No, no, no. So the chase is, for me, the, I love the Mini. Uh, thank you, Mini. I'm not just saying that, but the car is great. It's a, it's a hoot to drive. And I love the Tesla, too. I just love it in a different way, right? I love the Mini as a car. I love the, I love the Tesla more like a phone. But that's a whole different story. But I love, I, love, I love the Mini, and I think as a city car, it's perfect. 114 miles of range. Well, that's what it is. It's yeah. not a road stripper. Yeah, you, will, you will never sweat <laughs> it, right? You can drive it to work and back. You can drive it around town and then plug it in at night, and you can do it all again the next day. So as an electric car that's just a city car, it's fine. If you had to, you could road trip it, but it makes for a very long trip. Now, Electrify America, gosh, you know, uh, I think they're very responsive. I think, these guys, I think, you know, they've been in contact with us because, you know, we have had these experiences. Uh, but... We've had two cross-country trips in the in the last month, right? We drove from LA to Denver and then from, and both those times, out of like the 20 times we've given take charge, right? Two of them have been absolute like nightmares. Really, I mean, you know, for me, as stressful and as bad as you get, and that's you, you, you don't go to the regular pump and walk away thinking to myself, I'm not going to be able to get home. Luckily, we've never needed a tow truck. We have not needed a tow uh, truck. How about that? But but nevertheless, you know, I, I think if you're uh, you, you can't have a 20, what is that, a 10% failure rate, a, a critical 10% failure rate. Yeah. It's, it's really going to put people off. So uh, the other thing, too, we should talk about, and I think you, you really made a good point on that city car thing, right? Um, people look at the Mini and they see the 114 miles of range, which is up a little bit, by the way, from last year. Four miles. Four miles, Ooh. not bad. Um, and they scoff at it thinking, oh, what a useless little car. I'm actually a proponent for these short-range EVs. Uh, I mean, I consistently drive our uh, compliance cars that we've had, which will do maybe 50, 60 miles on a charge. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like, most folks don't drive more than 50 or 60 miles in a day. For example, like myself, my commute and then seeing my friends and whatever I may do in a day typically takes about 40 miles or so. Um, and if you plan it out in that sense, like 114 is more than you'll ever need for a day-to-day -day, um, yeah, experience. Kinda, so, so what happens, there's this, like, this journey you take that takes place when you buy an electric car, right? First, you get your electric car and you've got huge range anxiety. And then after it becomes more commonplace and you actually figure out that everything works as it should and it's not the end of the world if you get down to 20% or 10% and you can't actually, uh, you know, live with a car where, you know, you're at 5% sometimes. Yeah, you know, and you don't and get stressed anymore eventually. you don't get stressed and you're like, yeah, that's fine. I, you know, it's like you, you, like you figure it out. It's like... If you ever, here in Colorado, we have 52 14ers, which are mountains that are 14,000 feet or higher. And if you ever go up to 14, or the first time you do it, it's like, oh my God, you know, this is crazy. I'm hiking up to 14,000 feet and it's terrifying. Uh, and then if your friends come by and you take them up there, it's a little bit easier. And then, you know, after you lived here 30 years, you're like, ah, oh, Grace Peak, it's just a fun <laughs> hike, right? And that, that's what I think happens with electric cars once you get used to them. But that is a journey. And, and I think most people have to make that journey, of course, on their own. And 
Uh, there's one big caveat. Okay. I, I think if you're going to own a car like this, you have to have a place to charge it up overnight at yeah. home or at your apartment. I mean, it's like 140 miles is fine because I wake up every morning and have a full, quote, tank, right? But if I lived in an apartment and then I woke up in the morning and I had 20 miles from the day before of range remaining, I would be really stressed out. But because I've got a place, and you don't even need these short-range cars, you don't really don't need a 240-volt outlet. Just plug it into a 110. Yeah, like Andre who bought the i3 from the company. Right? Andre's wife went through the exact same experience. She's like, this is not nearly enough range. And it only had 50 miles of range. Yeah, I was like, realistically 50, 60. And she just drives it. She plugs it into a standard 110 volt outlet every night. Uh, it gets full in the morning and she never touches the range extender in and the i3. And the other thing about having a small battery, obviously the downside is you don't have a lot of range, but the upside is you don't have a big battery to fill up. So, you know, it's, it, it doesn't get you as far, but it doesn't take as long to charge it up either. Right. So, I mean, when you consider that in essence, because the company bought it, right, and we can take advantage of the tax credits. Yes. This is realistically a $25,000 car, like you mentioned. Uh, I mean, the amount of fun you get is off the scale, first of all. But even the features, heated seats, heated steering wheel, Napa leather steering wheel, which feels amazing, 8.8-inch screen with navigation. Dual sunroofs. Dual sunroofs, dual zone automatic climate control, keyless entry. I mean, this thing is loaded to the gills for 25 k essentially. And I kind of come back to having buttons. Like the Tesla, I mean, I said at the beginning of this, podcast that, that, you know, I like the fact that there weren't a lot of buttons and switches and controls because it kind of does give it a serene feel so you feel a little bit less stress-free. But I kind of appreciate having all those physical buttons in the Mini. So I kind of went one way and then I got bored of it and I've gone the other way where I like having like, uh, you know, the Tesla doesn't have different drive modes, right? I think it's got chill and normal, right? Right. Whereas this has four drive modes. I kind of like those four drive modes. It's kind of fun. The other Part thing... Part of it is a little bit more stressful because like, which one should I use? And if I uh, use Sport, how much am I going to burn? But it's also nice to have Sport. The other thing too, and we'll, we'll see this comment a lot I too I think is like for 37.5 you're you're pretty close to Volkswagen ID4 money Mustang Mach E money but I would take this car over both of those any day of the week and we have driven and reviewed yeah I've driven and they're fine cars but they're not really all that much fun I mean when when you look as an enthusiast like we are as an electric car right um, I kind of lump the ID4 in a similar class that I would lump a gasoline RAV4 it's a very good car it holds a lot of stuff but it's not something you would want to take on a twisty road right in terms of enthusiast cars at a reasonable money that are electric, the Mini's it. I mean, ID4 in the base trim, not a lot of fun to drive. Mach-E in the base trim, not a lot of fun to drive. They're both big, they're both heavy, they both hold a lot of stuff on a lot of folks, but they're just not all that engaging. This car, super engaging, super nimble. Um, obviously, it doesn't go as far as those two, but as a fun thing to drive around in around town, this is way better. I would say it's the most fun electric car I've driven, and, and I think we've driven every car there is to drive that's electric for the most part. I have. I've driven all the California compliance cars Right. when they first came out. I remember I've been doing this for 10 years. Which are very fun, by the way. Yeah, I like so, the compliance so the, cars. The one that comes closest to what it is is probably the Fiat 500e. Yeah, that, totally. That's, once again, a compliance car that I think under 100 miles, it gets a little stressful. Like you said, at least with 114, you could probably go two days without charging and, if you're in the city. And the thing, too, is, Dad, I mean, this is not a road tripper. I think we, we proved that now. But it could be if you had to, to make it, if you had to do a longer trip, because it has fast charging, you can make that trip. Whereas, like, the smart car never had fast charging, the electric one. The 500e doesn't have fast charging, the electric one we got here. So this is more able to tackle longer trips like this just not as conveniently as a long-range EV. So um, coming up on our next podcast, you're going to want to stay tuned for this. Uh, this week, Tommy and I actually got behind the wheel, uh, and we're doing a lot of electric car stuff, and once again, it's coming, so we want to be in the forefront of it. 
we uh, got to take the brand new Jeep uh, Wrangler 4xe up a very difficult Colorado mountain trail called uh, Red Cone. Uh, and because the Jeep allows you uh, to put it in what they call e-save mode, which is basically you can use gasoline until you get to the uh, uh, mountain and then you can go electric, we got to see how far we could go on pure electric off-road and the number is I'm not gonna give it away sorry you have to listen to the next podcast or watch the video when it comes out on TFL car or off-road depending where we decide to put it but that number was shocking seriously shocking I will shocking give, I will give you a hint we did do a range test on it also driving it in the city and we got the advertised rate of 27 miles I want to say it's a 17 kilo, kilowatt hour battery, right? I think that Nathan did better than the EPA number. Maybe, maybe it's 21. He I think it's not, yeah, 21. He did 27. Yes, yeah, so we got 27. Uh, uh, so that was interesting. So be sure to come back for that because we we, we got to go off roading in pure electric mode uh, and do it uh, on a very interesting and hard. And we learned a lot of lessons. Uh, and it, it 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 also speaks to all of you guys out there who have orders in for the Rivian who want to take it off-road, or the Cybertruck, or the Lightning. Uh, it's going to be interesting uh, times coming up ahead in the next year, and I think we, we kind of are at the forefront of that, so I think we've got some interesting news to share. Yep, so be sure to stay tuned. Was that too much of a, of a like, tease? We'll say it did under 10 miles of range. Under 10? Off-road. And it did 27 on the road? Maybe it even did under five miles of under range off-road. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> You're, Maybe okay. even, how about this? Maybe even under four miles of range off-road. What does that mean for all those electric vehicles? Yeah, I know. That's what we'll talk about next with, week. With the Rivian and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. at the trailhead when you're getting, oh my gosh. Anyway, we'll talk about that in the next <laughs> podcast. Guys, thanks for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, take a guess uh, at uh, how far you think uh, the... Uh, 4 by e went in off-road mode when we went pure EV. Uh, and uh, thanks for watching. You know, without you guys, we couldn't do this. Uh, we're very grateful, especially to all of our Patreon members who are out there and supporting us with real donations. If you want to become a Patreon member, go to tflcar.com slash Patreon and help, uh, help us keep these videos rolling. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. Ciao. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.